Hey friends, it's Brady with Carrot. And if you are looking to save huge amounts of money on a new TV this year at Cyber Monday, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But if you're looking to generate more motivated seller leads online, I have good news. So Carrot.com is running our biggest sale of the year. We rarely discount our products this deeply, but we are this Cyber Monday. On top of our already heavily discounted sale, we've got some limited exclusive doorbuster deals with never before seen trainings from some of our favorite partners like Pace Morby, Chris Chico, Deal Machine, and more. So instead of wasting all your money at the big box stores this year, take just a fraction of that and invest it in your business and in yourself. We've got amazing deals for both members and non-members. And on top of that, you're going to be able to double your impact. We're using proceeds of Cyber Monday to feed over 330,000 people this holiday season. So go to carrot.com slash cyber to learn more. Hire somebody, always try to hire lifers. Like when I'm hiring somebody, I'm interested. I know that what the statistics say and how long people typically stay, but my goal is I'm looking to hire someone that's going to be with me for 20 years. What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Carrot Cast podcast, the podcast with a funny name, but a big mission. We help thousands of real estate investors and agents grow rock solid mindsets, do better marketing so that you can build a business of freedom and impact. I'm your host, Trevor Mock. Let's dive into today's episode. What's up, y'all? Guys, if you have been wanting to to build your real estate business as an agent, as an investor, and you have this vision to build a business where you can replace yourself, you know, you, you have a vision where you want to build a business that that um, supports you rather than you supporting it, where um, you actually build a business of freedom so you can make the impact that you want. On today's episode of the Caracast, I've got an amazing guest, Jason Lewis. I will introduce you guys to Jason Lewis uh, here in a bit. This is actually the first time him and I have chatted, but we have amazingly close friends that we're going to be talking about here in a, in a second, mutual friends. But one of the things, guys, that, that, that impresses me so much about Jason and why um, I took the recommendation from our mutual friend, um, Mike Hambright, uh, who you guys have heard on the Carecast a million times. And Mike's like, dude, you need to get Jason on the podcast because he's built a multi-million dollar a year wholesaling business in Utah. We'll talk about that here in a second. He's a carrot customer, ranked number one on Google and the Utah phrases. Um, yeah. But he's done it in a way to where he doesn't really work in that business much, if, if at all anymore. We'll talk about how much you do. But also on this episode, we're going to talk about how to use data in your marketing more effectively. And uh, we're going to talk deep, deep, deep on the data and marketing side. So Jason, dude, welcome to the Carecast, man. I'm pumped to dive in with you. Thanks, Trevor. Excited to be here. I'm glad we finally got to meet. I know, I've heard man. A lot about you for years, dude. Li- likewise, Mike. Every time, so he was at my mastermind this last two times. So we were in Rosemary Beach, Florida, a couple weeks ago, and then um, he was in Charleston, South Carolina, a year ago. And he kept on talking about investor machine. You know, the business that you guys have been building. It's been scaling up really well. And he just keeps on saying, "Man, Jason's just wicked smart, wicked smart." And uh, <laughs> Man, you are. So I'm, I'm pumped to meet you in person one of these days and dig in deeper. But dude, let, let's do this really quick. So give people the you know minute, two minute, three minute version of who you are. Uh, first of all, so we can kind of set that context. And, and um, where do you do business? What is your overall business world look like right now? And then, then I want to start after that, we're going to dive in into the real estate business side first to show how you have removed yourself from that business. But uh, who are you, man? What does your business world look like right now? And awesome. um, what makes you tick? Cool. 
So I am Jason Lewis. I uh, am based in the greater Salt Lake City area, um, do investing all through Utah. Um, been in the business for 10 years. I spent my first five years working for someone else. Um, left at that point, I thought that uh, two months before having twins, which would be five kids in five years, would be the perfect time to start a business. Um, and luckily, it went, luckily, it's gone pretty well so far. So uh, um, September 2017, I uh, uh, went out on my own, started the Utah company, and then two, uh, had some friends ask for help with marketing, started helping them, hmm. ran and met Mike at Investor Fuel. Two of us partnered up, uh, and Investor Machine has grown from there. Now we have over 170 people that we do high level data and, uh, direct mail for. And in terms of like the split up of my time, it's probably 90 to 95% Investor Machine, five to 10% the Utah company. And guys, here, here's the cool. Oh, I, I love it, man. Guys, here's the cool thing about it. So, um, I, I, I wrote our company mission years and years ago because I, I built a business that trapped me, a business that, that was built around me doing everything. And a lot of things I was doing drained my energy and, and I ended up having to get out of that. And I still have some of those challenges today, literally right before this call, we have a team of almost 60 full-time us based employees. And right before this call I was working with the marketing team to go, oh, shoot, I didn't document this thing well enough to have the right alignment. And I bought myself another job in this one little core area. So I'm working on replacing myself there. But uh, one of the things I've been impressed with Jason is he has a $3 million a year wholesaling business that he really doesn't do much, if anything, on. Uh, we're going to talk about what his role is and how he got there. Um, but then he has an eight-figure-a-year business in, in Investor Machine with Mike. And now he's building that one. And I'm sure he's finding some ways to start to replace himself there. And then there might be a next thing. And so I want to show you guys that this is a pattern when we learn certain skill sets and change our mindset shift, change our mindset, that we can start businesses, do the part that gives us energy, and then plug amazing people in in a certain way. And we'll show how Jason did it. And then you can move on and start another thing if you want to as well. But Jason, let's kind of break down the real estate business side of it. So it's a $7 million a year wholesaling operation. You well, scare it. Three million, not seven. Uh, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, $3 million a year wholesaling <laughs> operation. Seven's and coming. We're not there quite yet. I love it, man. <laughs> and you guys do all kinds of different marketing, but today we're going to focus on primarily the team. So what does your team look like right now on the wholesaling operation? And then we'll yep. kind of dive into how you built that. Okay, so I have COO. Uh, and then I have right now one, cause we're hiring a second acquisition manager, but traditionally I have two acquisition managers, um, disposition manager and transaction coordinator. Uh, we, one thing that we do in our business as well as we actually do relationship managers. So, okay. um, I, I'm a big believer in the power of relationships in this space. So I actually pay three, three people, three awesome guys full time to just build relationships with people in Utah to have them bring us deals to co-wholesale and to uh, help them find our deals to buy. Um, gotcha. I have, cool. yep. I have a decent sized uh, prospecting team, um, office manager, uh, lead managers, um, project manager, uh, and then obviously some construction crews. Um, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody. Um, oh, and a person in charge of doing CMAs and valuations on properties, as well as finding on market properties for us to offer on. Gotcha. Cool. And I'm, I'm and over here on my iPad. I'm, I'm just kind of drawing out some of those roles that you had mentioned, because what, yeah. what I want to do, 
is I want to give people kind of a picture as we go for, you know, in the early days of the business, what that team might look like, what are some of the early hires? Then as you go into multi multi-millions, kind of where that looks. So in the early days, dude, um, did you, did you have that mindset from the start that you wanted to build your way yourself out of that business? Or did you I, discover I did. as you went, you did cool. No. So I, I've always been, I, I've always been fascinated with the game of business yeah. and building business. And, you know, I read uh millionaire real estate agent. I know we have agents that are listening to this as well. And this, this Gary Keller idea of seventh level agent, mm. I thought was just so cool. Um, I was also, um, influenced by, oh, the e-myth revisited, yep. uh, the, the, and the main idea behind the e-myth. So a seventh level agent is essentially like this agent owns a business. They have no part in the business and it runs entirely on their own. A sixth level agent, which is what I would say I'm more a sixth level agent because there is time that I still need to spend in the business and yep. I still occupy a seat as the CEO in the business. Cool. Uh, a seventh level agent has no seat in the business. They're doing their own thing. So, um, and the E-Myth Revisited is all about essentially building like a franchisable business, like a McDonald's. Mm. Like McDonald's doesn't bring someone in and say, I really like this person's personality, you know, let's, and, and they seem to have these and these strengths. So we're going to have them be like, you know, two hours on dishes and then an hour in the front. And then we're going to have them painting, right? No, you have a cook, you have a cashier, you know, these are the roles and you fit into the role. Yeah. So um, I would say that, you know, that was an important thing early on is, uh, you know, franchisable business building roles, et cetera. So I mapped it out from early on, even as I was a solopreneur and said, okay, these are the seats that I need to fill. And this is who I think needs to go in each of these different seats all along the way. Dude, let, let's, if, if it's cool, like I said, I'm, I'm drawing some stuff out on, on this end and guys, I might attach it to the blog post with this, go to carrot.com. Um, you know, forward slash blog or go to carrotcast.com, find the show notes to this. So let, let's, let's see this, Jason. We'll uh, kind of, kind of play with me here. We'll see if this is valuable for the audience. If it is amazing, if it's not, uh, I think it will be. So essentially like, let's say the person gets to, well, let, let's say they're starting with $0 and then we're going to do $300,000, right? And then we're going to do a million and then we're going to do 3 million, the, the threes and tens. And so, um, at what point does someone in, in your eyes as a wholesaler, and maybe since you've read that book and, and you know real estate really well, we might be able to relate this to agents too. At what point someone sh should someone get their first employee or out or delegate something out? Is there a certain income level or you know what do you aim for? So in my opinion, my, my favorite first employee was a virtual assistant. Okay. Uh, and you can get a basic virtual assistant for 3 to $7 an hour. Mm -hmm. And in my opinion you, sh you can have that person right out the gates. Right uh, I actually, in my previous business, we didn't use virtual assistants. I kind of discovered them through listening to podcasts like this when I was on my own. And the first thing that I came up against was I want to mail the tax delinquent list. Yep. But then I got the County and they sent me this, you know, 200 page PDF, uh, of all of these things. And it was like slanted and hard. Like it, it couldn't be converted. It had to be manually done. And I was like, I'm about to spend a week of my life converting this PDF into an Excel so I can mail this thing. I can't do that. Um, and so, you know, I did some research and found out that there's these amazing things called virtual assistants yeah. that'll do it for $3 an hour. And that, that's what started now. I mean, between the companies, I have over hundred 
virtual assistants uh, that work with me. But in terms of like first hire a virtual assistant, you can do that today. Cool. And so that the hire there, like like you're saying, is any of that kind of um you know, that the, the really manual or someone might call it grunt grunt work, right? Where it's a lot of kind of moving this to that formatting, repetitive, this, repetitive stuff. Exactly. Exactly. And so after you've got the VA and you can start to buy back your time from the very repetitive work uh, with, with the online stuff with carrot, there's, there's some of those types of things that are repetitive. Like you, you could hire someone to do some of your backlink building or to write articles for you. Those aren't quite as repetitive click button, click button. But it's that type of work. You can find plenty of those types of people on Upwork or hire an SEO firm. Um, but what what would maybe that next hire look like or that next thing to delegate look like? So I would say it depends a little bit on what business you're building. Yep. Um, if you're building an all marketing business, that's going to be different than if you're trying to build a, you know, a prospecting business. So yeah. I will go as though we're building a marketing business. Cool. Um, so next hire after that for me, you know, you're, you're getting... Leads are coming in. You're you're slowly ramping up the money on marketing. You've got a variety of marketing channels, and you're starting. I mean, initially, you're doing all you can. Um, so I I measure it. I personally measured it as much on my own time and capacity as much as I did revenue. I I was fortunate in that things were firing on all cylinders from pretty early on, and marketing was working and money was coming in, and I was just trying to expand capacity. Um, so for me, one of my first hires was uh, a lead manager, somebody to answer the inbound calls. Um, so one thing that I believe I did right, that I think a lot of investors did wrong. So you just heard me say, I love VAs. Yep. Uh, I do not love VA lead managers hmm. personally. Gotcha. Yep. Um, my first lead manager wound up being my first acquisition manager. Hmm. Uh, when you hire a VA lead manager, they're they're not going to become your at least your local acquisition manager. Yeah. Gotcha. So, yep. So I had you know guy in his twenties had done summer sales, um, come be my um, lead uh, lead manager. So he would answer the calls, he would do the follow ups, uh, and all of that, which freed me up to continue to work on other parts and other aspects of the business. Gotcha. This is good, dude. One one thing you just mentioned there which I think is key is, is most people that I talk to do look for a, a VA type of lead manager. And I've seen the, I've seen those work, but one thing that you would mention here, and this is really important guys is Jason from day one was working towards trying to build a business that didn't need him to work. And so when, when we're looking to hire, uh, we have to look sometimes two, three steps ahead of, of 100%. what is the next, yeah. You know, what's the next higher level role? that I need to groom someone into and then what type of job may I hire them into that they can grow in there. I'll give you guys an example. And I'm going to toss over to you, Jason, with a quick question is, so if, if I were looking to, you know, let's say replace myself in part of care to CEO or whatever it is, um, you know, there's one option, which is to go out there and find a CEO to come in, which there's all kinds of benefits and problems that could come in with that. Or there's another option, which is like, what skill sets would I want that CEO to have and, and could I hire someone to grow into that over the next two, three years? I might, maybe it's someone who's a VP of marketing because they need to be great at that or chief, you know, a VP of revenue or something, hire them in at that, train them, train them two, three years later, they're the CEO of the company. Um, that's great, man. So for that, for the lead manager, what you suggest is having someone local there to the business operation. Cause then they could potentially grow to an acquisition manager. 
Absolutely. On cool. big key like influential that. roles, COOs, acquisition managers, yep. you know, things like that. I really like hiring somebody a step below where I want them to hire, come because cool. for a number of reasons. One, it gives me time to really train them right and really get them acclimatized to my culture, et cetera. Yep. And two, if and when they don't work out, because I have people that don't work out too, there's not quite the same level of collateral damage as there, in, as there is on those big important roles. And I will I like say it. with the lead manager thing, I'm just a fan, period, of local lead managers. People already think we're a scam and are already worried about us. If they get, if they pick up and it sounds like someone has an accent in most places, you, you've already lost a good deal of credibility. Mm, so dude. yes, hire, hire a head of hire somebody. And I also always try to hire lifers. Like gotcha. when I'm hiring somebody, I, I'm interested. I know that what the statistics say and how long people typically stay, but my goal is I'm looking to hire someone that's going to be with me for 20 years. Gotcha. Love it, man. Love it. Guys, th this, this, the long-term mindset is so key because if you don't have that three, five, 10, 20 year mindset, we do, we do end up building ourselves jobs because we're not, we're not, you know, you're playing a game of checkers instead of, of a game of a game of chess. And with the game of yeah. chess, you're thinking two, three, four steps ahead. And oftentimes mm -hmm. with checkers, it's just, what's the next step. So this is awesome, man. Well, so higher lifers. I love it. One other, one other thing with that, uh, I, I try really hard to get really, really clear on who I'm looking for, what I'm looking for. I, you know, I use predictive index. Mm -hmm. um, I take, so my hiring process is slow and time consuming and awful. So I use uh, Keller Williams, uh, MPA or KPA overall hiring process. Yep. Um, uh, I, I, but I also layer into that a lot of stuff that like Sharper does with predictive index, et cetera. But like for a key role, we've spent not less than eight to 10 hours together before mm -hmm. I hire you in my gotcha. organizations. Like, and, and, and here's the thing, never in my life have I had the eight to 10 hours to give that person. If you're working through two or three people, that's like 30 hours. Yep. Uh, but I spend a lot of time up front. And I also typically, one thing that I have not done well is I traditionally hire too late. Uh, but even still, I will never settle. It yep. either has to be an absolute heck yes or a no. The, the worst words that anyone can say to me, because now it's my team that does a lot of the hiring. If they come to me and say, yeah, I think they could do the job. Uh, out. Mm, not yeah. it. I don't, I'm not looking for someone that can do the job. I'm looking for someone that's like, I can't live without mm. this person. And, and I have gone two, three, four months too late on making hires and made my life miserable for periods of my life, making sure that I got that absolute A player. Um, and then the, then the other key is obviously keeping them, but we can yep. get to that. Dude. And, and that's, that's a big, a big important key. Cause you mentioned investing heavily in the, in the upfront and, and I've experienced this as well. When you don't, it's, it's like either you invest heavily to make sure it's the right person up front, or you're going to invest heavily in the back end coaching, tweaking. I mean, you're, you're always going to coach them, but if it's the wrong person, they're going to cost you five to 10 times more if not a hundred times more time and energy on the back end than they ever would have by focusing on more um, upfront hiring, you know, you know, time on the front end. So guys hire the right person and it's going to save you so much time and energy in the back end. So, so you've got, you've got that. So we'll hire the VA first lead manager. Um, let's kind of, let's kind of skip up here. That, that would that, what then hires would take you through about the $300,000 a year business. Okay. So by the way, the VA does not get that hiring process. Yep. This is like, yeah. So, um, 
Next hire after that, I hired, uh, uh, for me, it was a, com- this is a weird combination. For me, it was a combination of project manager and disposition manager. Um, but again, it's going to depend on what business you're building. Are you yep. going heavy flip? Are you, and I, I was a mix of both and I had someone with a skill set to do both. Mm. Um, so that would be the next hire that I made after that. The last big hire that I made, um, after that was, uh, acquisition manager. That was, that was the last. And I, my opinion is a lot of people rush that hire. Um, and I have seen getting that hire wrong, absolutely crush businesses. Mm. I mean, even just within the last, the last year I had two acquisition managers. I now have one, Mm. one of them was producing four and a half times the other one with the leads going every other, right? That's wild, uh, if, if I would have had two of the one, my business would be dang near gone now. Yep. yep. Um, so, mm. you know, it's a, it's a crucial role. Make sure you handle that one with kid gloves. Dude, with the acquisition manager, do they, um, they have part salary, part commission, all commission kind of what's the high level structure that someone might look for with that. So, do you uh, do you want me to do what I did when I was small or what I do today? Because there's two, uh, it's two different answers. Do whatever well, works best. Like what what if you would recommend someone to do X? Unless there truly are different recommendations different based on business things. sites. Okay, cool. Yeah, it, it's two different things. So keep in mind, you know, I was promote. I, I've tried all sorts of different varieties. Yep. Um, I would say my favorite is probably commission with a guaranteed monthly minimum. Okay, cool. That, that they can take as draws against future commissions. Cool. So, you know, you're going to make whatever it is. Every person has eight, 10, 12, whatever percent. Uh, but you know, especially when you're wrapping up and everything else, I'll guarantee you five, six, whatever you negotiate together, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10,000 a month Mm -hmm. as, as you're, you'll never make less than this. So you don't have the same ebbs and flows that I do as an entrepreneur. Um, but, uh, you know, know that you're always going to make this and there'll be upside from there. That's been my favorite. That's good, man. I, I like that. And is that for more the the smaller company versus the three million dollar company, or is that? I, I changed my mind. That's both. Okay, cool. I like it. Good. That, that works even better. So now let's say they're getting up towards that million dollar a year. And in in my experience, and you know, we've had podcasts on this before. Things break at the threes and tens, right? So um, you you pass the three hundred thousand dollar mark. You're doing some deals. You've got a VA to help you do a lot of the, the manual repetitive tasks. You have a lead manager because you're starting to get some leads coming in and you can't take it all yourself. Um, you have an acquisitions manager by that time. There was a role before the acquisitions manager that I didn't write down. What was that role? Project. Project manager. That's right. And so that type of person, what what types of things would, would they be doing? So they're, they're overseeing the flips, managing okay. the contractors. Yep. Um, that, that person, you know, everyone else essentially works for the marketing and sales company. That's cool. the one person. So I think of them as two different things. Most people think I'm a flipper. Honestly, I'm just a sales and marketing guy yeah. uh, that happens to do sales and marketing around real estate. You know, cool. there's a small part of me that's flipping houses, owning rentals, things like that. But like, if you were to break down my day, I basically just talk on the phone and do Zoom meetings and send emails. Like that's my <laughs> I life. It. I love it, dude. So we're at the million mark. Uh, we're right there around the million mark, looking to cross over the million mark, or maybe right above. Uh, what does that team look like? Is it more acquisition managers? A new role you're adding in? Yeah, what, so what do you do? From there, you start adding to the departments. Cool. Right. You may need another lead manager. You may need another acquisition manager. You may need more help with dispositions. You'll likely at that point need more help with office. At that point, I brought uh, a lead office person in stateside. 
um, with VAs to help. But I mean, you know, really based off of need and capacity and everything else, you're just starting to add people in each of those roles. Cool. I will say one thing I did that helped me grow a lot. We grew a lot based on referral. Um, you know, a players, no a players. Yeah. And, um, how we grew is at, at, at the start of every quarter, we always had our quarterly goals. We, we run the Utah company on the four disciplines of execution. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know about, um, EOS and Gary Harper and yeah, yeah. or anything else back then. So I, and it, it's gone well on four disciplines of execution, but we had our goals and our weekly scoreboard meeting and seeing where we were at and everything else. And, uh, I always had a number goal, you know, we need to get to X, but then I also had a building the team goal. Mm, So in order for all of us to get bonus, I actually, in our Google sheet, you know, this side of it had all of our numbers and everything else. And this side of it had an an org chart Mm. and all the squares were either green, yellow, or red. Uh, And at the end of the quarter, if everything was green uh, and we got our revenue goals, we made the bonus. So everybody on the team was bought in to building out the organization the way it should be done. That's good, man. I love it. So you got the revenue goals and then those other ones are, are kind of like project goals kind of, I guess a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Cool. And yeah, building the team. And I will say too, like from a timeline standpoint, I think this, in this conversation, this is another important thing to share here. Um, you know, I, I made in, I made it from in and out of having the business set up well and running well versus getting pulled back in and needing to do a whole bunch. And a lot of that was because of growth. Yep. Um, I started September of 2017 and, uh, in May of 2018, I took half the month, went on vacation, uh, uh, went and visited my sister back East, uh, didn't go to an appointment, didn't answer a call, didn't do hardly anything for that entire two weeks. And we brought in a hundred grand in assignment fees that month from September to May. Um, so, I mean, you can do this pretty quickly mm-hmm. with the right people, but you know, fast forward a few months that I was working 60, 70 hours a week running, trying to keep up on everything, uh, et cetera, until I got the right key people in place and trained. And then it scaled back down. And then, you know, like I remember talking to, I have a maps business coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember talking to my coach, like, I thought I was out of this and now I'm back in. And she was like, that's life, buddy. Like yep. you, you're going to continue. Like it, everything is always romanticized in books, right? Yeah. They're, t- they're w- whether it's rich dad, poor dad, any of the above, it's this like vacuum ideal, but like the real world is you're constantly ebbing and flowing back and forth. If I did what Tom Kroll says, I think he was just at your mastermind as well. Yep. Right. Yep. If I did what Tom Kroll says and capped my financial aspirations, I would be much better at this living in a long state of out of the business. But the problem is the business continues to grow or things yeah. go wrong. And I wind up pulled back in. Dude, you're, you're hundred percent, hundred percent correct here. And, and guys, th- this is a really important lesson here as well. Cause like, like Jason was saying, and I remember Tom saying this a couple of years ago, and I'm, I'm so glad he was telling people this because there's always that mindset to grow, 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 which is great. Like if you want to grow and you need to grow your business in order to hit your ultimate goals in life, or you've got to like, like, here's an example. Elon Musk could not get to Mars unless they grow revenues because you need revenues to fund this mission that that he's wanting to go on to save humanity. Right. And so if you don't have a mission and a purpose that you're just like in your core is eating at you so much where you need to grow a business that's ginormous or if there's some other if there's not an inherent reason that your business has to grow revenue wise, um, then then what we end up doing is we end up building our businesses and keeping them growing because other other people are doing it. 
because other people, you go, you show up to a mastermind, there's someone who has a bigger number. Like, I don't know, maybe that's what I should do too. I should do a bigger number. And when we do that, we end up building these businesses that we can grow to resent because every level of income that we hit, we realize the clouds didn't part. The angels didn't sing. Oh my gosh, I hit a million a month. I thought things would change by this point. No, they don't. Yeah, they don't. So that's so important because if, if you have, if you, if you have a number that helps to give you the freedom that you want and to enable you to make the impact that you want, build a business that hits to that number. Now, the risk that you have is if you build a business that doesn't have inherently the right things to continue to grow and innovate, oftentimes you get yanked back in it eventually anyway, because you've, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to die after a number of years if you're not innovating and growing with it. That's the trick. That's the trick. Yeah. Two, two things with that. One, um, what Tom, and this, I'm going to stay with Tom for a little bit. One, um, you know, he says you'll never be truly free yep. unless you cap your financial aspirations. That's not yep. to say that you must do this, yep. but if your ultimate goal is freedom, you'll never be free as long as you're trying to scale a business. Dude. Uh, and the other one that, that Tom says that I'm a big believer of is, you know, again, rich dad, poor dad, four hour work week, all of these things, super romanticize these things as well as yeah, rich dad, poor dad, what, what we call passive income, mm -hmm. right? You can get yourself in all sorts of trouble with passive, with this idea of passive, yep. right? Uh, Tom uses the word minimally managed. Mm -hmm. And I like that word much, much, much better. Mm -hmm. Passive means this rental's doing its own thing and I can forget about it, yep. right? Give that person a few years, they're going to sell me their house. I love that person yep. um, because they're going to wind up hating that rental. It's going to be run down, et cetera. The same thing is true of the business owner. A business yep. owner who makes some progress and says, great, now the business can run and I can forget about it, mm. is going to wind up losing everything. Yep. You, even at your best case scenario, unless you've sold your business, it still must be minimally managed. You still mm. must put a few hours into it. You must be tracking KPIs. You must be making sure everybody, you know, vision is high, culture is high, et cetera. Even if you bring other people into that, it must stay in minimally managed. It doesn't have to be a lot, but you need to pick a certain number of hours and things you must do. And it may never move to passive. Dude, this, this is good guys. I've got a couple more things I want to break into on this. And then I want to jump over to the marketing and data side and, and focus on what you guys do at, at, at um, uh, investor machine. And so guys, I'm going to plant this in here right now. Go to investormachine.com forward slash carrot, investormachine.com forward slash carrot. Uh, if you guys want to scale out your offline marketing, we have tons. I, dude, I was just on a call with, um, with CR of Maryland with, with Alexander yesterday. And so they're mutual clients of ours and they're a, a big, a big business, you know, multi, multi million dollar year business. And you know, we walked through all of their numbers for the last two years as a whole company. And then through their online numbers, Man, dude, they're crushing. It's like between between Investor Machine and Carrot, that makes up like 80% of their business and they're a huge, huge business. So we're, we're going to dive into that here in a second. Yeah. He just sent me a text last month and he was like, five contracts this month. You guys <laughs> rock. I love you. Yeah. And dude, they they, they had a, they had a tough start to the year with the online. They they locked down two two complete deals in the first quarter with Carrot alone. Uh, but this month, there's quarter already, which we're, you know, two weeks through the quarter, they already have three contracts locked, locked down. He's like, dude, you know, it's starting to pop again in early 2022 for him. So we'll talk about that here in a bit. But um, one, one thing that Jason had said, guys, about, and I think it's really important so you guys can cast the vision for yourself and your business as an investor or as an agent, is is things break at the threes and tens. And and if you're going from zero to 100,000, the things that you delegate 
are way different things that you delegate from 3 million to 10 million. And so uh, zero to 100,000, it's pretty much you're delegating tasks, right? Like Jason was saying, and it's usually low level, low dollar tasks. From 100,000 to 300,000, you, you then have some sort of thing that's turning into money and you've documented a process that is working that's usually work you're doing. And now you need to take this process and you start to hand off the things that give you the least energy. And that might be you know, the lead manager stuff, right? Between the hundred and $300,000 mark, but you still might be the acquisitions manager at that point. Um, and so then as you go from 300,000 uh, 300, to a million, you're gonna be still delegating tasks, but now you're gonna start to delegate what I call projects at that point where you delegate to a person and that person now delegates to multiple people. So now they're, they're like taking and duplicating you in one area where now they're working with two or three people. So you don't have seven people reporting directly to you. You might have three or four now, and then they have three or four. Once yeah, you Gary, from- Gary Keller says you should never have more than five people reporting yep. to you. You can't lead them well. You need to start getting vertical in your structure. Oh, dude, hundred percent. And then a million to three million, you then you have the sales machine down, you have the marketing machine down, and now you're trying to uh, you're trying to get everyone to buy back as much of your time. You mentioned it before, uh, building capacity, right? So you're, now you're going, okay, where am I slowing things down anywhere? Uh, where am I getting my energy drained? But three to ten is different. Three to ten usually is like now I've got to build a full suite of a leadership team. Now you can do that earlier though. And so I want to talk about this now. So you were able to, to build your way out of that business. And anytime you hit those, those milestones, so you were mentioning, dude, I thought I was out of the business. It's probably because you were, you were between the three, the 300,000 and a million, and you're like 600,000 or seven or eight. You're right at that spot where you haven't quite hit the next, the next thing where things break again, but then you hit 900,000 or 1.2 million. You're like, oh my gosh, things are crazy again. You got to go back down, delegate the right things, which you did, which then took you to three. Uh, so let's talk about the COO. How did you find this person? And then um, let's talk about the interaction that you and the COO have. I, I like to, to, to give people that vision for what you do now in the business and how the interaction is. But how'd you find them first? So interestingly, uh, we, same church congregation. Uh, and their first role in the company was uh, acquisition manager. Cool. Um, but, uh, and here's the thing, like th- this person is exceptional COO at this company would have a harder time at investor machine because investor machine is predominantly an operations company. Gotcha. Uh, my Utah company is, you know, 90% sales, 10% operations. And so, you know, you can call it COO, but it's also largely, you know, chief sales officer or, you know, et cetera, that, that oversees the entire team. But he is a, it was an excellent acquisition manager that was also very good at systems and process. And that honestly, and this is the, one of my favorite parts, thinks like an owner. Mm, like, yep. And since the day he started there, he, he lived his life and treated the company as though it was his own. I did the same thing. I was the COO at my last company. Mm. And when I left, I had more than 10 people tell me, how did you leave? I, I thought you were the company. Like, I thought you oh, owned really? the company. Because like, that's the degree to which I like cared and, you know, uh, did like treated the company as though it was, as though it was my own. So that, that was a big thing that I was looking for. And he had that. So, I mean, he does all of the sales calls and answers basically all the questions he and I meet for an hour every Tuesday afternoon, unless we have some spe- So we're together for the scoreboard meeting Tuesday afternoon. Then we meet for, uh, an hour after that, um, to make sure that we're synced up and on the same page and everything else. And then otherwise it's just 
if we have questions or things that we need to, you know, like a major project we're working on, like he and I are talking more often now because we're bringing in another acquisition manager. And the one thing I have not delegated well, I would say is recruiting an HR. That's a hat that I've always kept. Yep. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. For, for, our, for me with, with this business here, and it's of course a little bit different, but, um, the, the, the HR capacity I have found, and I think this is a decent rule of thumb is if you're going to hire eight to 10 people in a year, you probably need in-house HR. And once you get over the 20 to 25, you definitely need it. And you could definitely use it lower than that, obviously. You know, it's like, but yeah, um, I, I definitely learned that lesson the hard way in investor machine. We, yeah. we tripled last year without having an HR department and it kicked my butt. Because <laughs> then you become the HR department at that point. Yes. Like and we it. added, yeah, we probably added like all, all things considered 40, 50, 60 people last yep. year. So yes, it was that, that was that uh, there's things I would do differently too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. So uh, I've, I've got this chicken scratch on my iPad y'all. And I'm going to figure out a way to get something written up and have some some guidance in, for y'all. But we really walk through from zero at a, at a high level, from zero to you know a multi million dollar year wholesaling operation. But guys and gals, you can take some of these roles as an agent and look at them in similar things. Where this one might say acquisitions manager, yours might be or a project manager, yours might be transit transaction manager as an agent. Or acquisition manager, it might be a buyer's agent or right. something like that, right? So, right, listing agent. What, one other thing, um, along, I want to hone in on something that you said. So, Gary yes. Harper, um, Gary Harper and I were on stage at a million dollar meeting event, one of Mike Cambright's mm -hmm. years ago, even before he and I were partners. Are you going to uh, be at the next one? Ah, uh, yes. I'll be there, dude. So, we're, we're going we're we're to meet in person, person finally. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, um, um, we're on stage on a panel and someone asked the question, you know, what order do you delegate things? Kind of similar to what you asked me. And yeah. I said, you know, Hey, I took a, I listened to Dan Schwartz. There's dollar an hour things, $10 an hour things, hundred thousand. I started with a dollar, worked my way up. Yep. So I got the answer first. Gary answered next. And he said, you know, I almost died of Lyme disease years ago. And, uh, um, when I was on my deathbed, my biggest regret was how I spent my time and the amount of time I spent drained and everything else. He said, so for me, I don't do things that drain me. Yep. I only do things that energize me. And mm -hmm. I took the mic back. I was like, forget my answer. Go with Gary's. <laughs> I, if I had it to do over again, I would have focused more on what energizes versus drains me rather mm -hmm. than just what I thought was the highest and best use and best used my skill set and was the highest dollar per hour things. Dude, that, that's su such good wisdom, man. Such good wisdom. I, I, I had a, a similar journey uh, as Gary, not on my deathbed kind of a thing, but Back in 2010 through 2012, I built a business that I grew to resent. I, I just really did not like it. I was, I was miserable. Had had good money, but I was miserable. And I was taking the advice that is the standard advice, right? It's the, it's the hey, write on a list, like line down the middle of the paper. You know, write makes money, doesn't make money, or whatever, and write down a list of all the things that make money and the things that don't make money that you're doing and then just make sure you're delegating the things that don't make money and, and do the things that make you the most money and i did that but but for me what what happened and then and then follow that model that you walk through 80 20 principle perry marshall has that in there a really great yeah. graphic on it and it's like dude it works like it all works right but i, I had that same realization where i'm going man I've, I've done these things but why is it that i'm making money and i I'm miserable in my business. Right. It was, it was the energy thing. 
And so I ended up creating an, a thing called Energy Audit. You guys can go download it for free, carrot.com forward slash energy, carrot.com forward slash energy. Made that like a decade ago. And, and when you follow energy, it's this weird thing. I started to flip-flop it to where uh, rather than the line down the middle of the paper and it's, you know, it's make money, doesn't make money. It's like what you said that Gary does, gives energy, takes energy away or drains. And then you make a list of all the things that give you energy in life and business in general, like including things you're not doing, especially the things you're not doing because you think you don't have the time working out or hanging out with friends or, or, or biking, right? And then write down all the things that drain your energy in an average week, business and life. And then you circle the top two things at the start of each quarter that are draining the energy most. Write down how many hours a week you're spending on, on each one of those things. Give yourself a ratio. Hey, on an average week, you know, 50% of my time is in this energy drain bucket, 50% of the energy give. I found if you're not over like 60%, you're feeling drained from your business in general. And so you, and you I will say 70, most of my dinners, what, what, and one of my top three goals for this year is to be present at dinner. Um, because yep. most of my dinners for the last 10 years, zombie Jason, yep. kids are talking about their day. And I'm, yes. if I'm not staring at my phone, I'm not present and anything else. Like I have not executed that well. It, it's, it's hard, man. It's really hard. Cause, cause life and business keep sucking you back in. Like, like you're mentioning. And for me that when it does work is when I treat it as a discipline on my quarterly planning, just like we do with our business stuff. My assistant brings it in. We do the energy audit. And then before any of the big, important company projects, literally the first things I focus on are those top two things in my energy drains. Cause I know I can't do the big company things. If I don't get these energy drains off my list, you document yeah. those bad boys, then you delegate those bad boys. Uh, including and and especially if those things make you a lot of money like some of the things that i've had to delegate were hard for me to delegate because i'm like that's that's if that doesn't work that's literally what makes our business money and then you just have to pull back and go like am i willing to run a business that is built off of me killing myself to make money and right. the answer is like no so i better find someone who i can train document it and find someone who can do that better and then I'll, I'll go over here and trade it. And this is where the energy uh, you know, audit works well. Is when you have this approach, you, it gives you permission now to go do things that give you energy that make you no money. Like, like this podcast, the reason I started this podcast, because I'm like, I have no clue how this is going to make money. I just get energy from it. It just yeah. gives me energy. And um, weird thing happens. You actually make more money when you spend more time doing things that give you energy. It's, it's odd. So that's I'm going to take the podcast interviewer seat for a second and say yeah. that is gold. That is dynamite. I hope people are listening to that. That will make your life so much better. Mm, I love it. Well, dude, <laughs> let, let's dive into the into the marketing side, the marketing data side for this last 15 to 20 minutes. And and um, you like I said, guys and gals, we'll we'll find some sort of way to take my chicken scratch notes, and I'm going to recap the. The zero to three million, how he how he built his way out of it in a in a rapid fire sequence. And we're gonna dive into data and marketing. And you how know, he's your tens and threes. I've been at three million in my yep. Utah company now for two years. Yep. So you we're just hanging right which, there. Which 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 could be fine, right? Because in, in some respects yeah, you look I, at it. I personally don't don't mind because yeah. it doesn't have my like if 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 I didn't have investor machine, I'd be doing you know, I, I still wouldn't take Tom's advice. I love yep. growth. I love watching things grow and improve yeah. and everything else. Yep. Um, but I'm also, you know, in, in my thirties, like all good, but like, yep. but you're, you're right uh, with you saying it. Like I've been capped at that three for two years. Yeah. And it's a different move to go from three to 10 
as you guys knew with investor uh, investor machine. So like three to ten, probably the reason it hasn't scaled is because you guys have a curtain, a, a certain strategy that is working really well, and you've got a machine around that strategy. And so to get it to ten, it would take either your time to go in with the, with the energy and the desire to build it to ten to come up with a strategy that would get to ten which might mean going to different markets and expanding or whatever, potentially that's a potential strategy, right? Or hiring in a CEO who has that vision to expand it, who's done it before to take it to 10. But that's the thing. Like, if you don't want to do it, who cares? Like build a darn business that fits exactly what you want, which is what you've done. hundred percent, hundred percent. Love it. So dude, on, on the marketing, well, so hire the VA first, do the, the low level stuff, lead manager, um, hire local on the lead manager if possible, because that lead manager could become your next or first acquisitions manager that grows into it, which you need to have them local. If you're doing flipping, you're gonna have to have a project manager of some sort to help make sure that we're piecing together and those projects are moving forward. So now Jason's delegating the delegation to a, a project manager, your acquisitions manager, your first one's going to step in, have them be commissioned. I, but yeah, I will say there's a difference between growing into in the first of that versus mm -hmm. I have this role established. I know what I'm looking for. So my first uh, acquisition manager, lead manager promoted, knew what I was looking for, understood the role much better. My next two acquisition managers after that, and likely the third, cause we're in process of hiring the third, I will hire them as an acquisition manager because I can buy a better talent. Gotcha. Cool. Um, than what I could before. But, you know, by that same token, COO, Utah company needed to promote from within. I didn't understand yeah. it. I needed to make sure I knew the person. I need to make sure I trusted them along the way. You know, at this point, if my current guy left, I would feel comfortable bringing someone in as COO again yeah. um, with the idea of I could potentially buy an even higher talent along the way. Mm -hmm. So I did want to make sure to clarify that does evolve as my companies grow. But for a first time role, I always like to hire one under and then promote up and within. I love that, dude, because guys, that 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 right there too could be a big key for any of you guys and gals struggling with the hire because sometimes people do hire too high up here and they don't know what a good COO even, they don't have a clue what they would look like or a good acquisitions manager. And so it's it's lower risk if you, like Jason said, if you can hire someone at a role or two below, like he said before, you can build trust with them. You can start to train them and then there's a handoff period where they're moving right. from lead manager to acquisitions manager. Like, oh yeah, they've got that. Bam, handoff made. You're no longer lead manager. I love that, dude. That that's going to help reduce risk for a lot of people as they're building their teams. Really good. Yeah, I but like I it. haven't stayed there. Yep. Like that's the thing I wanted to make sure was clear is today I don't hire lead managers to someday become. I mean, I, that's not to say that I wouldn't. You know, um, with my most recent acquisition manager hire, I had some of my lead managers that had thrown their hat in the ring. That if I wouldn't have found somebody else that came in that was like amazing, picture perfect they would have moved up in. But I mean, this is the guy that, I mean, the guy that's doing four and a half times was the new guy, not yep. the guy that's been with me for years. Like, but I could have never hired that guy as a lead manager uh, gotcha. because he wouldn't have been, I, I had to pay him what an acquisition manager needs to make. Yep. So it is, it is a balance. That makes sense for sure. I like it. And then you're going to, you had the lead office person or, or an EA potentially once things grew there. And then you just started to build on the existing departments as you cross over the million dollar mark because you needed more acquisition managers to handle the leads or more lead. So, uh, and so on. And then as you wanted to step out further of the business, 
you, in this case, elevated an amazing person to COO, did the handoff with that. And now Jason's current um, process there is he has, he has a weekly meeting with that COO. They go over the scorecard or the scoreboard and they do a touch point, probably red, yellow, green type of a thing on important projects, da, da, da. Uh, I love it. Guys, that right there gives an amazing map on how to grow your business and step out of it if that's what you want to do. So, dude, market. Oh, dude, that's amazing, man. Marketing. Um, let's dive into this for a little bit. So you guys once can have a $3 million year wholesaling business and you help, you help tons of other hundred, a hundred plus other investors generate lots of motivated seller leads. So in this market, I, I, I'm one of them too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 170 some odd clients. I'm one of them. <laughs> Dude, so what, what's, what's working the best right now in this competitive environment for, um, for marketing to get seller leads. So, I mean, um, what's hard. Honestly, the answer in almost everything is what's hard is what works, yeah, right? Because what yep. easy, there's so many people doing. So, you know, we've we've built a incredibly expensive, robust software that takes and sorts every aspect of a property to say, hey, this is the top to the bottom uh, of what you should be marketing to. And we have, you know, over 100 VAs individually pulling data points from the county, not just going and pulling them down from prop stream, but getting them from the source where they're live, they're more accurate, they're earlier. Um, you know, we've got more complex marketing sequences. You know, this, this mailer is going out every 30 days. This one's going out every 60 days. Um, we actually have even on our mail piece, the mail piece will adjust based off of the motivation points that we know about the seller. Mm. So if it's a uh, likely to be a tired landlord, the mail piece will say we specialize in dealing with difficult tenants. Gotcha. Uh, cool. If, if it's a firehouse, we specialize in firehouses, uh, et cetera. So a, a whole bunch of things like that, that individually would be way too hard to put together and do, but makes sense because we're doing at scale. Gotcha. So for, for $3 million a year wholesaling business, if you're willing to share the numbers, approximately how many deals would that be? Um, or how many deals a month maybe would you guys be doing? And then, then I'd like to break it down on what type of a lead volume would someone aim for to do that type of volume? And then we'll kind of break down some of the channels. Yeah. So um, with Investor Machine, we are list-based. Yep. Um, so we do direct mail. Uh, people that work with us do direct mail, texting, and cold calling. Cool. Um, so uh, about... Year over year for the last uh, few years, sometimes higher, sometimes lower, about half of my business is Investor Machine. Okay. And then the other half is relationships and online. I like it. Um, last year, it was much more than half. Um, this year, I'm more on pace for half. Uh, and I can't remember. I think two years ago was also more for half. Because again, to have a strong business, you need to have multiple strong marketing channels. You know, you're a, you, you're, you sit in a similar seat to me and I bet you watch your clients doing this. Right. Yep. We're all right in the way. The only way to get some type of level is to have four different waves. So hopefully they're not all peaking and lowering at the same time. Dude, hundred percent. And, and, and so you've got the 50% is the outbound and guys, this is something that's outbound really, and mail. yeah, so, exactly. Outbound and mail. And then the other 50% is relationships online and everything else that I do. Yeah. hundred percent. And so, so for that 50% that's outbound where you're sending messages out, whether it's text or cold calling or direct mail, um, what, what, what we've, what we've always said y'all is, is to get scale, like to really get over a million, unless you're going to go into a bunch of different markets, you need outbound marketing. You, you've got to have, 
you know, direct mail works amazingly well if you do it the right way. So what, <coughs> what Jason was saying right now is they don't do direct mail the way that most people may. Most people go, hey, I'm going to pull this big old huge list off a of prop stream, do the least amount of work I can. I'm going to go get this postcard or letter that someone said works. I'm going to send it out to 5,000 people once or twice. It's like, oh, shoot, I'm already X thousands in. And so they're not going to follow a real process or they're not going to do the extra work to really cull those lists really, really well to make sure that they're getting the best list, the fastest list or the right prospects, or they're not going to match their message in that, that marketing to the list well, which they're doing. When you stack on those strategies, they'll help you stand out. All of a sudden, your direct mail works far better than anyone else's direct mail or your cold calling or whatever it is. And so you stack that outbound. The outbound is where you get your scale. Because you're essentially tapping a bunch of people on the shoulder who may or may not be in that moment actively looking for a solution, but all of a sudden you drop it in front of them and they go, man, you know what? I do need to sell or I hadn't thought about it. So you're going to tap a bunch of people on the shoulder, get people raise hands at scale. That's where you get your, your scale. And then the online uh, where, where Jason, you know, they rank number one in Google with the carrot site in Utah, that gives, once you get it built up. You know, like Jason said, the things that are working now are the things that are harder. SEO is not the easiest thing in the world, but once you get it built up, dude, it's amazing. But that's where consistency comes in. You have this consistency because more and more people are always hitting the internet. And as long as you can make that investment and stay there, then you have this consistency in general that helps to kind of shore up the business um, while you're outbound is the scale. And so right. just with online, he'd, he'd probably be able to have an amazing business, but he wouldn't be able to have a $3 million business with just online in that market. That's true. But I will say, you know, give yourself a little more credit, like with pay-per-click, especially you can spend a lot of money and get a lot of leads. There's a yep. lot of money in markets that come through pay-per-click SEO and Facebook are not super scalable. You know, yep. SEO and Facebook will always be a few leads, a few buys trickling in that are typically amazing cost per buys. Yep. But with pay-per-click, I've been able to achieve a pretty decent scale. And I have friends that have done huge scale on, on pay-per-click through online. But again, if that's your only marketing channel, yep. you're too, you live in the wave. Yep. Um, you're yep. better off to have that. That's why I told you I do all of those different marketing channels. And every year I have a mix of how each of them are doing. This has been the first year in a while that outbound has done worse for me than mail. Hmm. Um, just because that, that marketing channel is increasingly becoming more and more and more challenging. Is, is that, is that mainly the text message marketing or is that text and cold call? Both. Yep. Cool. Yeah, that, that one's going to be interesting, dude, over the next several years, because, um, you know, some laws in the text message marketing side of things, but, uh, for, for an older demographic, and this is just me kind of throwing out conjecture. So this may or not be fully accurate, but the older demographic tends to answer their phone. The younger demographic, the more that, the more that let's say under 45, the more that we, get up there into the spot where we might be a motivated house seller, the less we answer phones, but we answer text messages. And so now when, when there are laws that make that harder, that does make it much harder. Or if there's a lot more investors doing it now, me as I'll, I'll turn 40 this year, dude, I love mail. Like I love getting mail in, the, in my mailbox. And so if anyone says direct mail is going away or anything, I actually think direct mail is going to get stronger as, as, the, as the generations age. It's, gonna, it's just going to get better. So, yeah, like And it. it's a good way to stand out. Not nearly as many people uh, do it, yep. for sure. I like it. But I mean, same can be said of you. Online is only going to grow. Yep. Uh, and I think that with the younger 
you know, with younger people being more sellers, you know, we're very trained on look online first. Yep. I love it. Well, dude, so about half, half your business right now comes from the investor machine machine uh, with the outbounds through cold calling and text message and direct mail. And they really break down their direct mail very strategically. So they're going after the lists that take more work, um, which gets you ahead of the ahead of the curve. And, um, and then the rest of it's from relationships. So working directly with other investors, wholesalers could be agents in that market to help serve them and turn their leads into deals and partner with them. And then the online side of it has been really growing as well. And um, we broke down the business too, dude. So let, I want to kind of toss this your way. I know Mike, we had him in the podcast recently, and he broke down some of the stuff on the investor machine side uh, really well as really well also. But what, what are you guys seeing kind of as you're looking at 2022 heading into 2023? Is there anything that you're, you're seeing, Jason, as you go, man, I think this might change in the market or this is something people have to be aware of over the next 6, 12, 18 months that they should really be paying attention to? Yeah. Yes, I'd be happy to share some of that. So coming on what we talked about before, you know, I think that the the role that uh, texting, especially, uh, as well as cold calling is playing in people's businesses is going to continue to diminish yep. for those people that have entirely prospecting companies. I would definitely be figuring out whether it's getting a carrot site, whether it's starting with mail, whether it's doing some networking and relationships, you better figure out some other things or your business is going to go away. Yep. Um, I think that, uh, institutional involvement is going to continue to increase, yep. which we definitely are going to have to adapt around. This is everything from iBuyers to hedge funds uh, and everything else. Mm. Um, I think that as interest rates increase, it's going to decrease the, uh, the one, one issue that we've had for years is inventory. You know, yeah. we didn't have this years ago when you and I were doing this early on. Uh, you know, I would, you'd buy it, you could buy a house. I mean, if you wanted to buy a great flip, you just had to go onto the MLS or HUDHomestore.com. You could pick whichever one you wanted, you buy it, but you'd plan on three or four months of, uh, but, but at that same yep. time, there was, you know, tens of thousands of homes yep. available for sale, short sales and everything else. I, my prediction, and I can be the scary part about predictions and things like this is, this is a great place to be dead wrong. You know, like <laughs> yeah. when COVID happened, I was dead set. Market was falling. I sold yep. tons of my stuff and I was ready for the recession. Yeah. I was not banking on the fed printing money like they did and, and everything else. Like they, yep. they came through and definitely saved what should have been a recession. I think most of us um, missed that. I thought it was going to do that too. Yeah. Yeah. So I was dead wrong. I told my grandma to sell her house because she was building. I told her to sell early and move in with my aunt. Like I was wrong. So first <laughs> off, I may be wrong again, yeah. but this is my thought. So my thought is from what I've seen in the past, when interest rates increase, it decreases inventory. Because mm -hmm. think about it. You own a half, you know, $400,000 house. Mm -hmm. um, and you're saying, hey, I'd like to upgrade. Let's upgrade to a $500,000 house. Yep. Great. Except that now that interest rates are 2% higher, that's even if you moved parallel to a four hundred thousand dollar house, your monthly payment went up two, three, four hundred dollars. Oh, right. Yeah. So now to go up to a five hundred thousand dollar house, your monthly payments going up five, six hundred thousand to get your mm. exact same house, you have to go from four hundred to three hundred. Mm. Um, and so it's like, oh, well, uh, I guess we'll remodel. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, or or we'll stick it out. And so 
less sellers is not necessarily great for our business. Obviously, you still have people that own houses outright. You have people that are going to own, like, none of it ever goes to zero. But I think that we will continue to struggle with inventory. Um, I think that it's going to continue to be a challenging market to do what we do, um, especially in terms of finding homes to buy. Um, I think that right now, assignment fees are high. Um, and you know, overall flip profits are high. I think that we're, you know, market's been doing this. I think that they're going to successfully level off the market with all these interest rates hikes, but I'm not seeing like 2008 version two coming later this year personally. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that, man. And, and I think creative finance is going to be become even more and more important as an acquisition tool. And so yeah. if you guys and gals are wholesalers and you're just like, everything's got to fit in the wholesaling box, and, you know, good friend, Pace Morby, he, he, uh, He's comes right here. Go to dude. Amazing. And so guys go follow Pace. So and just much do... passion and energy. Yes. Yeah. I'm, like... I'm in Pace's program. Awesome. I love... yeah. yeah, dude. He, he's such a good guy, man. When, when he did his, his first, uh, um, you know, trip around the U S or whatever with this trailer, he stopped here in Roseburg and he was going to pass three, he ended up staying for three or four days. And we went fly fishing and hit the, the first module in his program uh, was shot in my office. And I'm like, dude, just take it, like take it for two days and just shoot the content. That's amazing. That was cool. Very cool. Well, dude, th- this has been an awesome conversation, man. I'm, I'm pumped to see you at, um, at million dollar meeting. So I've got a couple things that, uh, as we wrap guys and guys. So number one, uh, if you guys want to scale up your, your direct mail marketing, your offline marketing, your, you know, it's essentially, you want to get more seller leads. You want to scale guys, go to the investormachine.com forward slash carrot. That's the investormachine.com forward slash carrot. This is amazing for investors, house flippers, wholesalers, or the hybrid agent who's able to take those motivated seller leads and then do both things with them. Uh, go check it out, engage with them. Now it's not for uh, brand new investors. It's for people who are really looking to scale that are spending multiple, multiple, multiple thousands of dollars a month in marketing already. And they want to scale it up. And you have to have direct to seller, close to seller before, yep. um, we, because our, we're not we don't want to take your money if it's not if if you don't have a track record of being able to do your side of this and it working well. Yep, I love it. So go there, and then another thing, guys. So uh, we haven't really officially made this announcement, but the Carrot Crew, a bunch of us are going to be down at the Million Dollar Meeting uh, coming up here, a big event in Dallas, Texas at the end of August. And so I want you guys to go to milliondollarmeeting.co. I'm going to say forward slash carrot because there probably is a link out there that's that. But milliondollarmeeting.co forward slash carrot. And I want you guys to go sign up because we've never done a big carrot event. We have our carrot camps that sell out crazy fast every year. Uh, we actually sold out our first one this this spring so fast, we opened up a second one that same week and it sold out too. And so that's a $3,000 per seat ticket. Million dollar meeting, guys, is far lower amount ticket. I'm going to be there. A lot of our most successful customers are going to be there. Jason's going to be there. Uh, probably speaking, I'm guessing. Uh, Bo Hollis is going to be there. Keith Sant, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to twist his arm to be there and speak. Um, there's just going to be a bunch of amazing people there. So carrot, we're going to have a whole part of the, the, one of the days that we're controlling the content on, we're going to do some amazing carrot parties and we're going to be, uh, really partnering with Mike on the million dollar meeting event. Uh, and we're very excited about it. So guys, this is our first step into having a kind of carrot event, uh, where we're piggybacking on top of the million dollar meeting with Mike. So guys go to, go to milliondollarmeeting.co.co, uh, forward slash carrot and grab a ticket before they sell out. It's going to be an amazing event, and I'd love to meet you guys there. But, Jason, 
Dude, pumped to meet you virtually. And uh, I'm really impressed with what you've done. And I know what you laid out is going to be so valuable for people because our biz, our stated mission is to help people build businesses of freedom and impact. And they can't get the freedom unless they have a path in order to buy their way out of that business. Um, so congrats on the success, man. And thank you for uh, being open and sharing today. Awesome. Hopefully it's valuable. It was, man. Any any spots people can follow you um, online? Um, yeah. Uh I'm not a one thing I've got to do better at is posting every time, whether it's collective genius or investor fuel, they're always presenting on being more active on social media and growing yep. your business. It's the thing I've heard the most and applied the least, uh, but I'm most active on Facebook need to be better still. Uh, but that would probably be the best place to find me. And I'll get you my link to Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jason, appreciate you, man, guys and gals, make sure you go and go to the investor machine forward slash care. If you want to grow that, go to million dollar meeting.co forward slash care to meet us in Dallas, Texas, the end of August, 2022. And as always go hit the subscribe button on YouTube. If you're watching the video version of this or in Apple podcasts or Spotify and give us a rating review. Uh, those I read every single one of them. It fires me up. It gives me the fuel to continue to put out amazing content for y'all and bring guests just like Jason. So have an amazing week. I uh, got, subscribe we'll see you at the next episode we'll talk soon thanks jason thank you